Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined by Slash Film editor, Artern Bui. Hey, everyone. Uh, also, Ben, I didn't get the chance to congratulate you in person, per se, uh, <laughs> about your promotion. Congratulations. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, I think you and Peter were talking about it yesterday, and hopefully we'll be able to um, sort of lighten the load a little bit for you and Jacob and, and some of the other folks who have been working so hard at Slash Film. So, yes, uh, I'm very grateful that you're all editors now. Yeah, and it's great because we get a chance to write still, and, and it's not like we're we're completely being uh, taken off the playing field in terms of writing. So we'll we'll still be you'll still see our stuff. Uh, yeah, written speaking on- of stuff, just to take over this conversation and be like Ben, you're doing great work. That uh, movie dialogue piece, which became a huge hit on Twitter and the like. Uh, great piece. You guys all should read it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll drop that in the um, 
in the show notes here in case people missed that. I mentioned it like the day that it was published, but uh, yeah, if you haven't haven't read that and you've been curious about why you can't understand movie dialogue recently, um, this piece hopefully will sort of shed some light on that. So, uh, AC, you haven't really been doing anything or or reading anything recently. I have been trying to work my way through, I think, two books now for like two months. I've just been so busy watching stuff. I haven't really had time to do or read anything, but ha- have you anything? Uh, no. Well, I went home for Thanksgiving and I forgot to bring my book with me. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man, I have nothing to read. Um, I actually had picked up a new Haruki Murakami book uh, from the street. Uh, I was walking down the street and I found it on on the sidewalk. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's called After Dark. Uh, I haven't. This is one I haven't read. I've read a lot of his books and I was like, oh, I should check this out, especially since it's just lying on the street. Don't worry, I wiped it down. Uh, <laughs> the, the New York Life. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's dive in then to what we've been watching. Um, both of us have been watching a ton of stuff. That's, you know, as we've mentioned before, like the, the end of the year is quickly coming and uh, voting and award season and all of that stuff. So we're trying to cram in a bunch of stuff here at the end of the year. So I'll try to be brisk with this stuff. Uh, I saw Petite Maman, which is the new movie that is written and directed by Celine Siama, the filmmaker behind Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I know that you saw this movie a while back, HT, and you really enjoyed this. I also love this movie. It's oh. it's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty short. It's only 72 minutes. It's, um, it's, it's amazing how short it is. It's And it manages to do so much in those 72 minutes. Yeah, 100%. And it's... It's so um, like lyrical and uh, just touching and really like a fascinating exploration of uh, of loss and but also like it's this really um, fascinating uh, simultaneous exploration of loss and gain at the same time. It's like mm-hmm. um, the sort of portrait of someone who loses a family member but also gains insight into. Uh, an aspect of their family that they maybe didn't know about before. So um, I don't really want to say much about the movie. I, I think, you know, that information is certainly out there, but I would recommend just like going into this completely blind because uh, it's just a, a really beautiful um, experience. So great, great stuff. It's called Petite Maman. What else? Uh, I watched The Sex Lives of College Girls, the first two episodes of this, which debuted on HBO Max like several weeks ago now, and I just I forgot to mention it. Um, I have not had the chance to catch up any further. I have no idea how many episodes are actually out right now. I probably should have looked that up beforehand. Um, HT, have you seen this show at all? Do you know what the show is? No, but I do know that it's a Mindy Kaling show, and um, I would, had at one point was like, oh, I should check that out because I've been really liking Mindy Kaling's uh, works recently. Like I, I've loved never have I ever and honestly mm-hmm. I've been a fan of her like through the Mindy uh the Mindy show the Mindy project <laughs> the yes. Mindy project I was like well I watched this sh- like the entire series and like forgot <laughs> forgot what it was the Mindy project uh which had its ups and downs but I really like her as a comedian even if sometimes she can just kind of go off the rail sometimes but I think that like recently she's just been on a hot streak and I've heard good things about the secret sex lives of college girls yeah, it's um, I it really like drops you straight into the the story, which is about these four freshmen at at college, and it's just about them, as the title says, like just sort of like uh, discovering their sexuality and and exploring and and um just going through uh life on a college campus uh, in the modern era, and it's uh it's a very very simple premise, but but and and so because of that simplicity, I think the show lives or dies on the 
characterizations and the uh, the chemistry between the cast members and the show just from the first two episodes seems to have done a pretty good job of establishing that. Um, there are definitely some never have I ever vibes in this. Uh, there's one character who wants to be a comedy writer and uh, it, it sort of feels like a little bit like um, what was the Mindy Kaling movie late night, right? I think yeah. that was the name mm -hmm. of it with, uh, yeah, with Emma Thompson. It, it sort of feels like a little bit of that mixed with, the the sort of um you know that the more heightened aspects of never have i ever um the, in, the in romantic the cringe comedy yes yeah there's a lot of that definitely it feels very much like a mindy kaling show she co-created this series with justin noble um and yeah I, I just enjoyed those first two episodes and i think you would like it too because you're also a big never have i ever fan ht so i just want to put that on people's radars because sometimes those hbo max shows they come and go and people are like, wait a second, what? Something happened? Like, the, you know, this the, it premiered back in November, November 18th, it looks like. So I haven't really seen a ton of conversation around the show, but uh, those first two episodes were pretty good. So uh, I look forward to finding time to watch more once I sort of make it through this giant pile of things that I have to watch before the end of the year. So <laughs> um, what else? I saw Flea. I think you also talked about this on a previous episode of the show. This is the the animated documentary movie from uh, Jonas Rasmussen. It is about the story of a guy named Amin, who is uh, a person who lives in or lived, grew up in Afghanistan and is forced to uh, flee his home country, escape this country uh, and become a refugee. And it's just about um, the trials and tribulations that he had to, to undergo. And uh, it's all animated uh, to protect his identity. And it is a really um like kind of a, a heartbreaking movie because more than anything else this just sort of puts a human face on what the uh, refugee crisis looks like and and just seeing zeroing in on one person's story and the the specifics of exactly what had to happen for this person to escape losing their lives and and you know go through all of these obstacles in order to just simply stay alive zeroing in on that specificity really sort of allows um you to take a step back and also just think about the idea of like there are so many people in the world who are going through similar experiences to this right now um and it is uh yeah it's just sort of heartbreaking to to think about but it's it's a really really well done well um constructed film that i think uh it, it it certainly has gotten a lot of attention this year i, I think neon released it and uh it's the danish entry for best international feature film at, at the upcoming oscars so um definitely worth a look if you've not seen that one um hd you any any uh i guess follow-up thoughts on flea well i think it's phenomenal movie and it's all probably one of my favorite movies of the year i just thought i was just so blown away by it um not only in its you know very moving and you know, uh ups not upsetting but moving story but in the way that it manages to sprinkle in a little bit of lightness and almost a coming of age um narrative in there too it reminded me a lot of persepolis uh in that way where it was just kind of about this this character who who still goes through all of these you know ups and downs of, of puberty and adolescence uh and those kind of heartbreaks and and um wonderful and great moments and amidst all of this this, this uh struggle the struggles and trials of being a refugee uh mm -hmm. it's also a queer 
a coming of age film too. So there's just a lot happening in this film. I think the animation, the use of it as both a way to protect the anonymity of Amin because it is the friend of the director, Jonas Rasmussen, um, and as, way, as a way to also inject something new into the documentary format is just a staggering. Yeah, it's a really great, um, kind of like what I was talking about earlier, like a, a give and take kind of thing. It, it is done in a protective way, but it also adds a lot to that experience as well. So, um, all right, next up, I saw Zola. I caught up with this movie that I premiered at Sundance in 2020, um, but was finally released this past summer by A24. And uh, I did not like this movie. Actually, did you see Zola? Did you happen to review it for us way back in the day? I watched Zola and I did the interviews with uh, Janixa Brava, the director for this film. And I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, I I feel like it was fun and um, kind of a good encapsulation of the actual Twitter thread while being somewhat of a – um, commentary on, you know, our social media landscape as well as these kind of really toxic codependent re- relationships and racial uh, dynamics that I thought were really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was good. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but I, tell me why you didn't like it. Well, I think because of like those things that you just mentioned, I feel like it sort of, um, it hints at exploring those things, but I never, I didn't think that it really went far enough in actually underlining any points it was trying to make about any of those things. And maybe it was just um, the movie was like a bit too subtle for me, but and I guess that's a weird thing to say because this movie is not really uh, <laughs> one that you would describe as subtle because it's very, it's about very like loud in your face characters um, and, and about this, this woman who basically gets like sucked into uh, to this trip from, I don't remember where they start the movie. I don't know if they actually say, but like thousands of miles away from Tampa, Florida. And they, she goes on this road trip with this woman who she meets in a restaurant. And just like the, the next day, this woman is like, Hey, do you want to like come dance with me in this club in Tampa and we can make a lot of money? And she goes, and then it ends up being, you know, a, a situation that is very, very different than that. Uh, and, and way more unpleasant than what that sounds like. So for me, it just felt like um, those those elements that you mentioned at the top here, it's sort of like I, I really wanted to know more about what um, the director and what the writer, you know, maybe thought about the ra- the racial dynamics at play in this weird, bizarre real life scenario. But I, I just didn't really feel like I got um, enough of that uh, handed to me. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I maybe that problem is on me, and I, I should have excavated a little bit more but Coleman Domingo is in this movie and I know him best as one of the father figures in If Beale Street Could Talk where he's he's this really like warm loving personality and he is like so very much the opposite in this movie and uh, I I really enjoyed his performance as much as I could because you know he's playing this really uh, despicable character but I found myself uh, mesmerized by his performance anyway um Nicholas Braun, who I, I know that people love from Succession. I have not seen an episode of Succession. I'll probably catch up on that show one day, but uh, he's also in this movie. Um, but yeah, Riley Keough and uh, Taylor Page are the the real stars of this thing. And the movie really um, sort of revolves around them and their relationship. And then, uh, yeah, not to really spoil too much of anything, HD, but I also was just like not thrilled with the ending of the movie because it just ends. Like mm-hmm. the story just com- like comes to a crashing halt and there's... I didn't really get any, um, I don't know, uh, satisfactory sense of uh, of conclusion there. And maybe that's um, 
uh, I guess, in line with what the Twitter thread was, because I never actually read the Twitter thread that this is based on either. The Twitter so thread is just wild. Ends, Somehow the Twitter yeah. thread is even wilder than the movie because you do get to you get a sense of what happened after and you kind of the discovery of what actually was took place here and what everyone was doing. So there's more even to the Twitter thread and the aftermath. But um, hmm. I think the ending, this is just my read on it. It was just kind of a, because the movie itself is a very heightened um, depiction of that sort of grimy sleaze bag vision of, of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels almost like when they're driving out that it's like a sort of, leaving a bizarro wonderland type of thing and they're yeah. entering reality again. Yeah. So I see the intention there. Um, and I think that it works on some levels, but I think that it's kind of in between both what people might've expected as the sort of um, more stylized crime drama versus the more, um, you know, cinema verite, uh, like florida yeah, like movie. immersive kind of yeah, yeah exactly. like, like yeah. the sean baker kind of movie so it's kind of in between there so it's, it's it's in a strange place i think definitely definitely uh okay so a couple other things i wanted to mention really quickly uh benedetta i finally caught up with paul verhoeven's new movie this is like the crazy lesbian nun movie that's what it's being marketed as um, and it is a little wild. There's like some, some uh, I guess, provocative in- imagery in here. But I was kind of surprised because of the way that this movie is being pushed and, and talked about online. I was expecting it to be way more, uh, I don't know, transgressive than I thought it was. I was actually kind of surprised to, to see how much of a real movie this actually was, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, you, you saw this too, right? Yeah, I saw this out of New York Film Festival and I loved it. I think, yeah, it's definitely not the wild movie that everyone has been sort of talking about it as, but I do think that it has uh, absolutely no subtext. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. It's, everything is text. They're like, uh, like I've, I've, I've described it before, I think on this podcast, but the, the central big climax of this movie, both narratively and <laughs> thematically revolves around a uh, Virgin Mary statue that is carved into a dildo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like you hear that and you're like, oh my God, what other insane things is this movie going to do? And like it has a couple of little moments that sort of rival that. But that I think is by far the most, um, like the, I guess the most subversive imagery that is in the movie. It, it sort mm-hmm. of strikes me as like something where, um, you know, Paul Verhoeven, I, I think he, he's been around for a long time. He knows how to be this sort of provocative director. And and he could have made a movie that is like absolutely full of stuff like that. And and I was surprised at, um, again, it feels weird to call a movie like Benedetta restrained. But I, I was surprised at some of the restraint that was on display here. And just like the, the actual care that he put into this. This is not just a movie where somebody is making it just to like prod you and poke you and make you uncomfortable, which is kind of what I thought it might be. It's actually a movie that he really like truly cares about these characters and, and has like some real, um, real genuine interest in what actually happened here. Because I, I didn't realize that this was based on a true story until yeah. I saw this movie. So I think Verhoeven, and this is kind of his, his talent and his skill, uses some of these wilder elements to make more pointed remarks and commentary about systemic religion and oppression and those kind of things. And that, that is something that kind of gets snuck by uh, to the audience. They're like, oh, I thought I was here for a lesbian nun movie. And instead yeah. of getting told about like <laughs> how uh, Catholicism is actually an oppressive regime, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of The Crucible in that way, where it's like, you know, it, 
it is very um it is very on the nose about its metaphor uh and it's it's sort of like messaging but it, it does have something actually deeper to say and, and the crucible is more like um you know the the mccarthy witch trials and, and or the um the red scare and all of that kind of stuff like the the uh uh yeah like the the huac and all of that it's it was sort of like a metaphor for what was going on there and i i think this movie also has like you were saying like it uses this setting to explore some uh some much more modern ideas um so yeah i i came away really enjoying benedetta a movie that i thought i was just going to sort of endure because of the insanity of it and i was like oh wow this is actually like pretty good so and the the performances i thought were really really good uh how do you say the the lead's name? H.T., do you know? It's like Virginie Efira. I don't know oh, if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't have right, her but... name in front of me, so I'm going to look it up right now. And yeah, I think she. Read it. Um, uh, she God, she was just like uh, incredible in, in the lead of this movie, and and like I said, you know, she does some pretty provocative things, but like there is a um, there is a warmth and a uh, a manipulation that she walks this line of like um, th- this balance between. Uh, actually feeling like a real human person then also feeling like somebody who's just doing whatever she can to sort of um, twist scenarios in her favor a little bit that I mm-hmm. thought was really, really expertly done. So Yes. And it's Virginie, well, if I'm going to say it with the French accent, Virginie Ethira. Ah, love it. Love it when you bust out the French accent. It's, it's, it always <laughs> makes me feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. And I, it's always just cool to, to be reminded that you know all the, you know, this whole uh, corner of the world that I've never interacted with. So it's really cool. <clears throat> oh, thank you. Um, okay. So finally, I just wanted to mention, I saw last night, I saw a film called Drive My Car. Have you caught up with this one yet, Ishii? I love this movie. I watched this out of New York Film Festival too, and it was my favorite movie out of New okay. York Film Fest. So I still need some time, I think, to really like simmer with my my full thoughts on it. But I really enjoyed this movie too, specifically the ending. I'm, I'm like a little, um, I need a little bit more time to marinate with what I thought about the very end of the movie. But for the first, call it 95% of the film, I was like completely entranced by what was going on here. Uh, this, it's, I don't even really want to describe what this is because it, it will sound like the movie is much more convoluted than it actually feels like when you're watching it. Um, but uh, I would just say, do whatever you can to, to seek this movie out. I'm not sure uh, if it's out in theaters quite yet or what the the deal is. I know that it played at, at the Cannes Film Festival earlier this year. And um, uh, I know it came out in Japan earlier this year as well, but um, it may be one of those that is sort of like technically going to be held for like a wider release until next year. But uh, just put drive my car on your radar. If you love, um, movies about people in rooms talking, it, it's definitely like, you know, the opposite of a, uh, a big bombastic sort of superhero type of movie. It is absolutely not that it is much more of, uh, you know, a, a movie about like the interior lives of people and like the, the traumas that they carry and the, the connections that can form with people who are damaged. And, um, it's a really, really beautiful movie. So I, I'm not sure, I think once I finally like crystallize my thoughts on on the ending and how I feel that sort of um, how it how it stuck the landing or or didn't or whatever, uh, then it will sort of give me a better footing on which to to fully judge this thing. But I really enjoyed most of it. I'm glad to hear you liked it as well, Ishii. There's just so much to love about this. Did you know that it's based off a Haruki Murakami short story? I did know that it's based on a short story, which is really interesting because the movie's three hours long. Um, I know. I've never read the short story. Yeah, I've never read the short story either. Actually, I think I read it after I watched the movie because I picked up the short story collection that it's from. Um, But yeah, it's 
it's basically like the latter half of the movie in that short story and him describing what happened in that prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually wrote a piece on this on SlashFilm.com and you should check it out. But I would describe it as a humanist adaptation of Haruki Murakami, which is already such an interesting thing because Murakami as an author is very sort of opaque and surreal and a little bit distant and cold as a writer. And that's what makes his books and and stories so entrancing. But with Drive My Car, it injects so much humanity and warmth and character into these into the story. And character too is something that's often lacking in Murakami. A lot of his characters are often like ciphers in a lot of ways. So that's where I found this movie so exciting and just a movie that I love to watch. Like the three hours flew by for me. I could have watched this movie for <laughs> forever. Um, but I love everything in like the dialogue and how there's so much characterization and drama that happens in the dialogue, even in just the uh, the checkoff lines that they're reciting back to each other. It's, it's just a fantastic movie. I love this movie. Yeah, I would recommend, um, because I've never seen Uncle Vanya, which is the Chekhov play that is sort of at the center of this story. I would maybe recommend like doing some reading about that or seeing if you can find a, I don't know if they've ever made that into a movie or like a a filmed version of a stage uh, play version of that or something. Maybe if you can, if you want to have like an ideal experience with this. I would say like uh, create a a base level of knowledge for Uncle Vanya because this movie um, interacts with that with that uh, text in such a prominent way that I'm sure there's some stuff that I missed in terms of like thematic connections and sort of bouncing off of uh, what Chekhov was trying to do with that story. Um, some of it you can you can pick up on without having seen that, but um, I just think it might help enrich the experience a little bit. So um, it's really fascinating that you say that, HG, because I've never read any of Murakami's work. And to hear that he is kind of a, you know, has this reputation for being a little cold and distant and surreal, that is so opposite from what this movie is. And it's really, I, I definitely need to read that piece you talked about. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. Um, but yes, drive my car. Definitely uh, worth seeing. The, the performances are, are really, really strong across the board. And um, yeah, absolutely put this one on your radar. Okay. Uh, HT, what have you been watching? I've watched a lot. So I'm going to speed by all the ones that I have on this list. So first, I watched The Beatles Get Back on Disney+, Plus, a very enjoyable eight-hour docuseries that is just kind of like a hangout movie with The Beatles. I love how it's just there's just footage of them um, you know, goofing around on the on their instruments and making music happen out of thin air, as well as all of the you know the latter latter half of their careers um, friction between the members. It's very fascinating to watch. It's almost like reality TV in a lot of ways, except it just you just watch it happen as it's like well you know what it is. It's like a nature documentary of the Beatles. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> them and their element. so that's great that's on disney plus i also watched the power of the dog which is now streaming on netflix this is the new film by jane campion it stars benedict cumberbatch kirsten dunce and jesse plemons um and it's a movie that i also would recommend going in without any knowledge of it because it's a very patient very slow burning film that uh kind of manages to deconstruct the toxic masculinity that uh, is so 
common in westerns and it's a it's a very it's oh god the performances in this movie are fantastic across the board benedict cumberbatch gives a performance that i think is sort of the epitome of his career in a lot of ways it this movie especially harnesses his strengths in really interesting ways as an actor um in ways that both disarm you and keep keep you kind of you know invested at the same time as he is because he's playing a very um just a kind of grotesque character in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways um so yeah fantastic performance from him kirsten dunst continues to prove that she's one of the best actresses of her generation and sorely overlooked for it uh just so much nuance in this film absolutely adored it probably one of my favorite films of the year again uh power of the dog on netflix i also watched nightmare alley i just came back from this uh from a screening this morning of this actually and i'm Still buzzing with it. I really, really love Nightmare Alley. I am an easy mark for any Guillermo del Toro movie uh, that has as lush visuals as this and it has as hot a cast as this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a noir film that is a remake of the uh, Nightmare Alley left film that I don't know what the year is from. I think it was like 47. 47. The 1940s Nightmare Alley, uh, which I have not seen, but um, I adored this film. It's very much like a, a lush fever dream of a noir. Um, it, um, it's, I've heard criticisms that it's it's too long or over long, but I did not feel that way at all. I just absolutely adored this and the darkness in it and um, the more, you know, um, grotesque edges of it as well uh i think that it's it's fantastic and that kate blanchett is uh <laughs> terrifyingly phenomenal as a uh woman who can destroy men with the <laughs> under her finger uh, <laughs> and um it's basically I'm, i might write about this at some point but it's just uh it feels like there's a, a pattern of some of our best male directors today uh, making films in 2021 that are about how men ain't shit, actually. <laughs> um, so let me ask you about this because I, I, man, I, I did see that 47 movie. I'm so much, very much looking forward to uh, Del Toro's version. Do you think that this, this could signal a new direction for Guillermo Del Toro? Because like we, the, the most recent movie he made, Shape of Water, is like sort of a hopeful story. And from what I know of the the original Nightmare Alley, this is not a hopeful story. This is a, a pretty uh, grim, sort of bleak view of um, of humanity and like ambition and what it can do to a person. So do you think that uh, this is Del Toro, like, you know, much in the same way that like Edgar Wright, maybe with Last Night in Soho, is sort of getting away from some of the stuff that he had done in the past? Do you think that this could be a, uh, a bit of a turn for Del Toro in a different direction for his career? Have you seen a lot of uh, Del Toro's earlier works, Ben? It's been a long time. I mean, I think I, I have seen, I think, everything that he's directed, but it's been it's been many years. And um, yeah, just thinking back on like, I, I guess the most recent uh, spate of movies that he made, um, you know, some of them feel a little bit more, uh, have a little bit more uplift than mm-hmm. uh, what I expect will be in Nightmare Alley. Yeah. Uh, it does feel sort of like a return to form to some of his grimmer works of of his earlier career, um, sort of the freakish nature of those and that embrace of those freakish natures. Um, yeah, I guess it has a lot of the polish of his more recent works coupled with some of the um, more 
not nasty, more, I guess not, not mean either. Guillermo del Toro has never been mean, but just kind of darker aspects of his early career, I guess I would mm. say. Cool. Yeah, man, I can't wait for this one. It comes out when, like, sometime, like, very soon, right? Like, within a couple weeks, I think. Yes, um, very soon. Um, okay, I'll, I'll find the release date there. And then, uh, wait, 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 uh, December 17th. There it is. <laughs> okay, there we go. December 17th, just uh, 10 days from now. Okay, what else have you been watching, HC? I watched Parallel Mothers, which is the new film by Pedro Maldivar. This was a film that I've been highly anticipating. I think, um, especially after Pain and Glory, his last film, just wowed me and was one of my favorite films of that year. And I think one of my favorite films that he's done. Parallel Mothers is a very different movie. It's very low key. It's kind of tries to veer away from the melodrama that he's known for and go into a more political bent, but he can't, you know, he can't escape the melodrama. That's Pedro Maldivar. So he uses that (laughs) melodramatic brush to sort of uh, bring something new to a more political uh, underpinnings to this movie. And while I don't think it's quite as successful as Pain and Glory, which is just so personal and so phenomenal, especially with Antonio Banderas' lead performance. I think that Penelope Cruz is fantastic in this film. Um, And I I like that it just kind of uh, goes in directions that you don't expect in a a very cheeky and fun way that that I'm I'm reminded of uh, in some of his earlier films, like All But My Mother, where he just goes in a completely different direction. You're just like, where is this movie going? (laughs) Um, So Parallel Mothers, great, good movie. Uh, Actually, great movie, yeah because it's Pedro Almodovar. Um, Not one of his best, but uh, fantastic Penelope Cruz performance. Um, Silent Night is another movie I watched recently. This movie stars Keira Knightley and Matthew Good, and it is possibly the bleakest uh, Christmas movie ever. I've never even heard of this movie. Yeah, it came out last week. I did a review of it, which is why I watched it. Um, It's... A basically a riff on sort of that acerbic British comedy kind of uh, an anti love actually in a way it's a group of friends who get together on Christmas Eve for dinner um, and uh, it turns out that it's not just Christmas Eve but the eve of the apocalypse in which a natural disaster will kill all of humanity um, and it's this sort of gallows humor the entire time of all these people readying to die together um, and doing a last hurrah before they die. Um, and I think that the first two thirds of this movie are this really fun and um, like a really fun and sort of strange and yeah, gallows humory sort of uh, balance of tone. Um, but the third the ending is is almost it's very 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 dark and it kind of soured me to the rest of the film in a way because it's just like a kind of a nasty ending but um yeah an interesting film (laughs) who directed this silent night is it is directed by a i think a new director it's written and directed by uh camille griffin um and it's actually this might explain the nastiness at the end it's produced by matthew vaughn oh okay interesting (laughs) Well, you have another Matthew Vaughn project coming up in a second, but yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> Why don't I just go to that, actually? I watched The King's Man, uh, a movie that I can't go into too much detail yet because I ha- will have a review up for that soon. Um, but it is the prequel to The Kingsman movies. Um, the first movie which I, of which I enjoyed a lot, uh, the second movie I which I loathe, and this movie falls somewhere in the middle. Uh, a movie that 
is strange tonally. It's probably the most bizarre film and wild film tonally that I've seen this year. It wow. whiplashes between a serious and grim World War One movie and this goofy, cartoonish comic book film. It's very strange. <laughs> um, and, you know, the action is actually quite fun. A lot of the sequences and some of the even the tonal shifts are bizarre enough that you're like okay I can have a good time with this but it has a deeply troubling plot which is probably on par with the plots of the first and second movies which are like the first movie is environmentalists are evil and (laughs) the second movie is uh, you know I don't remember what happened but it was also not a great plot similarly a very deeply troubling plot that kind of made me loathe it so I can't go into detail about it but that's the king's man an interesting okay, film. well, yeah, I gave up on the second movie like 20 minutes in because I just hated everything about it uh, and I never went back and revisited it. So at least it's better than that. Um, but you're not really doing a great job of selling me on this, HT. But I, but you know, the, I am intrigued by the uh, the tonal whiplash that happens. So maybe I'll check it out as like a curiosity or something. <laughs> All right. Uh, other films I watched. Come on, come on. The new film from Mike Mills starring Joaquin Phoenix as a radio... Um, producer who is working on this sort of audio documentary for like an NPR type of production and ends up getting uh having to take care of his nephew who he has not talked to in years after being estranged from his sister uh and it's this really lovely uh sort of parental kind of film that just is very gentle um, and it feels like it's it kisses you on the forehead for tugging you into bed. It's really nice. It's a nice film. It's a really wonderful performance of Joaquin Phoenix. I don't, I don't know. Every time I watch him, I'm like, I'm very, I'm just wowed by him because I guess because he has such showy performances, it's so amazing to see him in such a naturalistic and organic and grounded performance such as this. It just feels like you've caught him in his element and there's not, nothing – there's no artifice to it at all he's incredible um the young actor who plays his nephew whose name i don't have in front of me is also incredible uh yeah really lovely film so that's come on come on directed by mike mills yeah i think i'm gonna watch this one at some point this week phoenix just feels like one of those guys that like should have been uh, you know a movie star in the 70s or something just in Mm -hmm. terms of like the the amount of range that he has and like the you, you can't really get a get a um a bead on him, you know, in terms of like his public persona, he's sort of like uh, that whole thing with the, with the, uh, the documentary, what was it called? Like I'm still here from yes. 2010 or whatever. Like he was kind of like uh, positioning himself as like this sort of like a, I don't know, like countercultural figure who's going to like, you know, uh, flip things up, upside down and like mess with you. And he's just going to be like this sort of in your face guy. And then you've got Joker, but then it sounds like he can sort of turn on a dime and like do something like this and just completely like, uh, you know, pull the rug out from under you again, based on what you're, you're expecting from him. So, um, I feel like there were a lot of actors in the, especially in the seventies that were like that, where you're just sort of like, who is this person? I, I don't really, I can't really track them, but yeah. yeah. Chameleon is an overused word, uh, in this industry, but he, he genuinely truly is. And, I've been using this a lot, but yeah, one of the best actors of his generation, for sure. One of our best working actors now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You also saw Licorice Pizza. Yes, Licorice Pizza, uh, the new Paul Thomas Anderson film. Uh, It's 90% people running ecstatically in the streets, uh, and that's great. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow, I have not heard it described that way before. And I think that more than anything else makes me want to see it. I love a good ecstatic run through the streets. Literally, like, there's like three scenes of them running through the streets. <laughs> and it's it's great. Like that's that to me is cinema right there. Yeah. I'm honestly, I think I've talked to you about this before on the podcast. I'm hit or miss on Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, I have watched, I've not, I've, okay. Oh, God, I feel like I'm going to get across the coals for this, for saying this, but I don't love Boogie Nights. I just, I very much disliked Inherent Vice. Um, and Master, I was kind of all right on. I feel like I need to revisit it because I really enjoyed the performances in that, but I was like, all right, sure. The only movie that I've, <laughs> I've genuinely like, been over the moon for from Paul Thomas Anderson is Phantom Thread. And while Licorice Pizza uh, doesn't come close to how I feel about Phantom Thread, which I think is probably one of my favorite films of you know this, this century, uh, it's a really wonderful hangout film um, that you could just kind of spend a long time with, especially with um, Alana Haim. Is it Haim or Haim? I don't know. I I I talked about this uh, with Chris like I don't know a week or a week or two weeks ago or something, and I was like, I got to learn how to say this person's last name, and I just have not done that yet. Obviously, we're not Haim or Heim fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's a star. She's she's so so fantastic. I cannot take my eyes off her the entire time. Um, and uh, oh my gosh, there's just so many great performances in it. Bradley Cooper showing up for like five minutes in this movie and completely stealing the show. Um, and I also thought that, um, is it Cooper Hoffman? Yeah, is that Cooper Hoffman. I was like Hoffman. Cooper Hoffman is fantastic in this too. He's a real, um, discovery in this film as well. Just a great performance film. There is some troubling elements that feel, make it feel like the, like a very white film, especially in the sort of racial humor about this one character played by, um, uh oh who who played it uh john john michael higgins who does like this really really cartoonishly bad japanese accent um Mm. for like two scenes and i was just like i don't know what's going on here i'm just going to block it out um (laughs) it kind of sours some of the film but overall i really enjoyed licorice pizza all right and then you also watched let's see what two more things king richard what did you think about that one good tennis movie uh great will smith vehicle um also a nice reminder that will smith can act uh this is the film that is about a biopic about serena and venus williams father uh richard williams and how he kind of you know helped uh bring them to stardom um and there's an interesting interplay with this film in in terms of like richard williams real life persona in that it questions whether he's a huckster or really a genius. And I think that it's kind of interesting how it kind of walks that line and especially interesting for Will Smith, who infamously refuses to play villains in a lot of his films. And I thought that was interesting to, for him to play such a flawed character. So that one, uh, for that, I really enjoyed it. Um, solid movie otherwise. Uh, and lastly, I rewatched Enchanted. Great movie. Have you ever seen Enchanted, Ben? I still have not seen it. Oh my Enchanted. god. Well, I saw that it was streaming on Disney Plus uh, after not being on streaming for a long time. And I was like, I have to rewatch it. And it's the first time that I've rewatched it in years. I used to rewatch it repeatedly when I was a kid. And I still remembered about 80% of this dialogue. <laughs> so I was repeating it back to the movie. But even so, it surprised me in a lot of ways. It's a lot more, a lot more sexual innuendo than I remembered there being. <laughs> and um, Amy Adams just completely carries and is 
completely magical in this movie. You might say enchanting. Um, and <laughs> honestly, she is so good in this film that I was like, she should get an Oscar nomination. She should have gotten an Oscar nomination for this film. She should get like a retrospective Oscar nomination for this film because she's she's so good. She she is like that sort of in-between between a animated Disney princess and those impressionists that are at that work at Disneyland or Disney Disney World. She feels very much like an animated character come to life and she's so dedicated to the role, but still so likable that uh, you can't help but be so excited to see her and be so involved. So Enchanted, good movie still and one that you should watch, Ben. Yeah, I definitely plan to see it. Did this, did rewatching the original make you excited about the sequel or is that one where you're just kind of like, I don't know, are they going back to the well a little bit too late on this? Yeah, I'm still a little bit, I don't know about the sequel because I feel like lightning struck with the first enchanted and i don't know if they'll be able to recapture that lightning yeah well we'll see uh hopefully we'll be talking about it on a future edition of the water cooler at some point i think that movie's supposed to come out next year right on on disney plus i think so, so yeah um yeah look forward to that uh Yes, you can find more about all of the movies that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.